This is the Blossom of Thought podcast, a podcast about the body, mind, and soul. And your host is Impilo Kambule. Today's discussion is about liberal democracy and Swatini. Joining me for this uh, discussion is Mr. Tumsan Tembe, who has a master's in political science. He is currently doing his PhD on the relationship between political leadership and government performance. He is also a governance specialist, political analyst. He has experience in public policy development in the Republic of South Africa. He is also a writer, columnist, and a blogger. And the name of his the name of his blog is gunjalod.co.za. Mr. Tembe, I welcome you to the show to discuss this fascinating subject in relation to the Kingdom of Swaziland. Thank you very much and I appreciate the privilege and the honor to be chosen to be on this great platform. I sincerely look forward to a very fruitful discussion. A lot of Swazis, they are interested in democracy. They are calling for democracy. We see their pro-democracy movements. This democracy apparently is liberal democracy. There is a lot that is happening that has been said about liberal democracy. The people have had issue with the judicial judicial system. In the United States, there are debates about the judiciary that has been been corrupted and decisions that come from there are questionable. You know, these are all the discussions that are going on. Even in South Africa, the debates are going on about the judiciary too as having issues. This is an institution that is referred to be non-partisan, non-political, a system or an institution that is said to be independent from anybody's influence. That's uh, the highest form or, or expression of a liberal democracy. Now zeroing it into Swaziland. Swaziland also has had a fair share on the issues of the judiciary and other, other matters within the spectrum of liberal democracy. Mm-hmm. The first question that I want you to come in on is King Umswati and his regime have been deferring the dialogue, showing signs of not being interested in getting down to it. What are some of your views about that? Will it ever take place? That's within the spectrum of uh, liberal democracy, I think. Uh, yeah, you said lots of things. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you know, let, let's start with the simple issue of dialogue. Uh, if, if you are fighting for, for liberation, for freedom, you, you don't fight for a dialogue. You fight for freedom. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's number one. So you can have, uh, in terms of strategic approach to issues of freedom and liberation as well, to prioritize the dialogue, negotiations. Uh, in any event, that's the, that ought to be the language of the royal regime rather than revolutionaries. When revolutionaries fight for freedom and liberation, they fight to take the levers of state power and use the, this state power to produce a better quality of life for everybody. So this whole thing that, you know, you can, for me, strategically, you can have uh, liberation forces or what is called the progressive forces putting pressure on government to have a, a dialogue, to have negotiation. It, it, it practically doesn't work like that. That's not for revolutionary. In any event, what a dialogue or negotiations does is to have an elect pact where the elect from the progressive forces and the royal regime and its political administration can agree on how to share power and the related resources associated with power. So anyone who's pushing for a dialogue is actually pushing 
for an, an elite pact from both sides. And what that elite pact will do, it will make the elite share goodies whilst the masses remain in the periphery. And so this is why you see a Swatin with a very meager population of, let's say, 1.2 million. You have at least eight political parties, which means they've got a significant chunk of the elite that want a piece of cake. Now, once you've got so many parties, it says very little about the masses, but it says a lot about those who seek to be in the corridors of power on either side. Finally, on this matter, the royal regime will not go into negotiations or dialogue unless it is defeated substantively. But also the irony is once the regime agrees to go into a negotiation, then it has not been defeated. So the outcome will still favor the current regime. So if you had proper revolutionaries, Swati, they, w- they would intensify the struggle from all corners, as Mandela said when he left prison, and not necessarily to prioritize a dialogue. A dialogue is a smooth way of sustaining the status quo. That will bring change. And South Africa is a good example. We will get to South Africa. There is something interesting that I want you to elaborate on. You know, I think it deserves elucidation. You you are saying having eight political parties contesting for power or seemingly they will be contesting for power once everything has been settled in Swaziland, at least on the political front. You're saying that's a sign that these are just people, I'm now putting it in my words, of course, these are just yeah. people who are seeking for political power and it says nothing about the masses. It appears that within the framework of a liberal democracy, we have promises that we will be able to have people going up and taking up government, representing us, having our interest. Can't we say that the political party that eventually wins and has the majority will be representing the masses of the people of Swaziland and having their interests? And is it possible to say that they will not be able to solve the basic problems of the people, issues of water, the healthy sector, issues of agriculture, that is supply of food, that able to get free education, maybe, and many other things that you want to talk about that will take care of the needs of the people. What will you say to that? Having eight, at least eight political parties, uh, and the uh, part of my investigation on this matter, I'm told that it's at least five that are active. But if if but there's a whole range of organization. But even five, it is still too much. You see, when you have got eight. Five, let's say five political parties. It, it tells you that everyone wants to lead. Everyone wants to, everyone knows right. And once you have got too many formation contesting for leadership or too many people contesting for, for leadership position, then the, the, the leadership bar is very low. Or it's non-existent. If Eswatin had a very appropriate, you know, depth in terms of leadership, chances are you could have one or two political parties. So, so in South Africa in the 80s, they had what they called the United Democratic Front, which was a, a collection of very isolated groups things that were fighting about it from their little corner, but but a group of matured politicians with, with leadership, you know, acumen, they were able to collapse 
all of this political party, all of this formation to form a very, very powerful unit called the United Democratic Front. But that has gone down the drain again because now you have got lots of political parties. <laughs> you have got lots of uh, numbers of parties in South, in South Africa, but you don't have the quality associated with that number. So, mm-hmm. so Swaziland is going through the same thing when it comes to progressive uh, forces. This is why it makes it easy for the king not to entertain dialogue because he can easily say, who should I speak to? Who, mm-hmm. who represents who? So, so the, these divisions within the progressive forces, they actually play themselves at the hands of the royal regime and this political administration. Practically, it doesn't work. Now, you, you keep referring to liberal democracy. You know, in liberal democracy, particularly in the African continent, there is more propaganda and make-believe rather than the substance of freedoms associated with the notion of liberalism. In fact, I can't even tell you one specific country within the African continent that has adopted liberal democracy and that has grown in terms of the quality of life of its citizens. Uh, perhaps Rwanda is an exceptional case because Paul Kagame is a very uh, astute political leader. He understands how to pull the reins. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like the Chinese political leadership that has the ability to generate what they call a state-led capitalism. So, But in most cases in the African continent, what you hear people singing for is calling for multipartisan. Swaziland is one of those. As certainly they will tell you or they tell me that they want to elect the prime minister. Uh, they want political parties to functions, which is all and good. But what is the substance of governance? So, so the, and that take political leaders with the ability to design a society. So if you look at uh, Fervood, apartheid was an... Uh, a PhD thesis, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was a PhD thesis by Fairwood. He studied, he called it separate development, but eventually it was apartheid. That was an African. But it tells you that, that you know, a political leadership with the ability to plan what the society, an engineer society, that's what you need. After that, when apartheid was in motion, they had what they called the Africana Brother Bond, which was an intellectual body that was constantly strategizing and feeding the National Party regime because they were very clear that they need to design a particular society in South Africa that don't favor white people. They related, the, the Chinese also have designed their own society. Even Hitler at some point, he, he designed what was supposed to be an ideal German. So you don't jump from one system to the other without a proper, you know, plan. So the last point on this one, if you look, if you read the book by Fidel Castro called My Life, Mm -hmm. he says revolutionaries must be able to design a revolution that suits the condition of their own society. But before doing that, he says they must read a whole range of revolutionary experiences elsewhere in the world, but they cannot copy and paste. They must be able to design the one that suits them. So for me, you can't just start screaming in the street about it. we need multipartisan, uh, we need to vote for the prime minister, but what is the substance of governance? What is the eventual so- 
Eswatini society they're trying to, to design. The ideology research. behind all that. Of, yeah, the ideology in favor of the masses. I'm avoiding saying ideology because once you say ideology, people go into the boxes of communism, socialism, liberalism, on all of those kinds of things. The challenge is not to fit into any of those boxes, but to design according to the realities of Eswatini. But wouldn't one design according to the realities of Eswatini from, I mean, using uh, the philosophy of socialism? Because it looks like socialism, it's something that has existed or coexisted with capitalism and doesn't look like it's going anywhere. And anywhere where people have had better lifestyle or anything related to that nature, it seems like that has been due to social policies. I'm saying do not move from particular ideological paradigm because you then have to constrain yourself within that. Mm-hmm. If it means that you must design a new ideology, by all means, do it. Mm-hmm. So, so um, what? Yeah. yeah. So what? Also, you know, probably similar to what? Uh, what's the president? former uh, president of Russia, the one who came up, I think, in the nineties, who came up with uh, some fresh breath. He looked at something between socialism and capitalism, and that troubled the liberal uh, thinkers uh, of of the time. I, I forget his name. But I, I think I get your point that you don't want to be limited by China right now. Yes, China. They say it's a socialist state, but they, you know, you have already mentioned that the state is the capitalist. <laughs> so if, if you look at China, China, by the way, it, it has eradicated poverty, according to the United Nations. I think this thing was said in the last two years that China has eradicated poverty. If you look at the, the so-called Asian countries, they were able to to reduce poverty by 70% or so within five or six years. And all of these countries are not liberal societies. Yes, and they are socialist societies. The UAE, it was, yeah, in 19, by 1994, it was a desert. Now, now is there is no elections. Dubai. But what they have is an has become the maker of tourism political, you know, leadership. Now, mm-hmm. if you follow this argument, by the way, you, you could have King Mswate who's very loved if his leadership style and that of the political administration centers the well-being of the individual, Swatin. If the majority of Swatin had a very decent quality of life, they had access to housing. The point that I'm making is that if you look at the history, uh, most of the growing prosperous societies at this point in time, Bo, your China, Dubai, maybe go Singapore, Mali, this, the Asian countries, so to speak, even Rwanda in our African continent, they are not necessarily liberal societies. And I'm saying in countries where the political leadership is able to steer its government to deliver a better quality of life for its citizen. The issue of being a multi-partisan, it, it, it actually falls away. It doesn't become a major issue. And I'm saying, if the royal regime and its political administration were to focus its governance 
insisting on the well-being of a Swazi citizen, not a Swazi subject, a Swazi mm-hmm. citizen, to the extent that there's a substantive quality of life, there's no poverty. I mean, in a country of about a million people, people to be poor in such a country. If you people had access to housing, to land, to farming, cooling, basic amenities, you know, hospital, health infrastructure, and all of that, the demands for multipartism will be highly minuscule or non-existent. So, so sometimes it's not the political system that matters, but it's whether the governance and the leadership of that particular country serves the interests of the people. So mm-hmm. I, I think the challenge with the Swatin but a political leadership which is more parasitic rather than a, a serving leadership. So this is why I constantly caution that you cannot simply jump out of the box called it in Gundla and get into a box called it multipartism or liberal democracy without mapping out what is the governance system that must be designed that will prioritize the well-being of the masses. Mm. So, so for those that are fighting for multipartism, I think they must look carefully in the African continent as to where has it delivered socioeconomic dividends to the masses. So you're saying, by way of conclusion on this point, that liberal democracy has never given people what they need, has never taken care of the basic needs of the people, and therefore it is not working. Absolutely. To, to put to some, there, there, there's more propaganda of freedoms and, and liberties in liberal democracies within the African continent rather than a substantive quality of life. Thank you. Even in organizations that have fought for liberation, they have some up ended up with liberalism. There's more propaganda of make believe rather than the dividends uh, expected of, of liberation. Yeah, let's go back to the point on the negotiation or political negotiation between the pro-democracy movement and the reigning regime in Sweden, that is King Umswati. You have mentioned a little bit that there are lessons to be taken from the negotiated political settlement or solution in in, in South Africa. What lessons can be learned from that negotiated settlement in South Africa? What lessons can be learned for Swaziland? There's one historical fact which keeps being repeated, that if you have not won the struggle in the bush, you will not win it around the table. Mm. That's <laughs> so interesting that... analysis. That's point number one. Yeah, it makes sense because if the one is, you know, so many people have written and have spoken about that uh, uh, those in power will not relinquish power easy without be being demanded by those who who want power that is demanded by by the masses. So it it it, it does stand to reason that why would King Umswati be bothered about negotiating a, a settlement where a chunk of his powers will be taken away from him? What he's enjoying now, the meal that he's enjoying will be half or will be reduced to a quarter. What would motivate him to do that without any serious struggling by all means necessary? Precisely. So this is why I'm saying that you you, you can't have uh, the liberation forces being the ones that are saying we need to negotiate. 
But what victories in the bush have you scored that gives you the power to negotiate? So now, South Africa, in a sense, moved from the smoke to the fire, you know, through that negotiated settlement. Yeah, but, but you see, one of the things that we, we, we hardly talk about in the South African negotiation context is that the liberation forces did not actually initiate negotiations. Mm. The, the, the negotiations were negotiate, were, were in South Africa were initiated by some top uh, capitalist class uh, within the white you know, communities when it increasingly became very clear that the apartheid system as a political system was very costly for capitalism in South Africa. And what South Africa needed was, according to these wide strategies, capitalist strategies, what South Africa needed was a political system. Um, Let me give an example of the costly part. So, for example, everything had to be doubled. A a toilet for white people, a toilet for black people. Uh, And every day there were security forces in the township and there was shooting and in the killings and it was becoming an international nightmare for the capitalist class to walk around. So they needed a political system that was going to make the masses believe that they are free without necessarily tempering or redistributing the socioeconomic patterns. So, so, so they started to talk to the ANC. Uh, in exile around about the 80s. Uh, Bozek, De Beers, and, and the other, you know, white African uh, capitalists. So, uh, in fact, w- when the announcement of the release of Mandela and of unbanning of political parties, the liberation movements themselves in exile were caught by surprise, were shocked. The, the, this is why at some point the ANC had to write a document that says, we are ready to govern because they had to deal with that issue. So this is why at the negotiation table, the property clause became an issue mm. for the for the white establishment because by putting it in the constitution, it meant that there will be no redistribution of land or any other thing. Then they, they, they made the Reserve Bank to be free so that this new black political party that comes into power doesn't tamper with the fiscus of the or the macroeconomic policies of the country. Mm. Thirdly, they made sure that the independent electoral commission was very independent, so that it did not mess up, uh, you know, the political patterns. And then the, the the Department of Finance had to be made an independent. So all these things that are at the centers of power, they were captured very properly by the establishment of the constitution. So that at this point in time, even the discourse on redistribution is off the agenda. Nationalization is off the agenda and all of that. So negotiations, if you have not won the war, they just uh, recreate a false belief that a you have the power. A conservative ideological system masqueraded as liberalism. So, so in South Africa's liberalism, there's more conservatism rather than liberalism. This is why, I mean, some of us will question the ANC to say that, look, this, the whole struggle was about the land. But come year 2020, 
you hold the public hearings to find out if people would like, you know, land redistribution. <laughs> what was the struggle? <laughs> so, so this negotiation must not be glorified. Mm. This dialogue must not be glorified uh, because they tend to produce a highly conservative system for the elite and mm. not a progressive, you know, governance system. When they negotiate on both sides, the question is, what's in it for me? How are we going to share the pie? And the masses are not at the center of that negotiation. Can you separate some, something interesting here? Because as you are speaking, I'm seeing, you know, thinking about Swaziland and how there's so much desire for liberation, because the view is that we have never been liberated. Well, there was an independence constitution. We got our independence. So we've never had independence in the true sense or liberation in the true sense. And I want you to separate the concept of liberalism from liberation, because those two may be conflated. People may be saying they are getting liberated when they are moving into or going on with liberalism. Can you do that distinction, at least for the people of Sweden, so that they may understand that when they are yearning for liberation, they must be they must know what real liberation is and they may not think that liberation is liberalism. Or liberalism is not liberation. So so in essence liberation it's about uh, liberation movements that fight for liberation. They are fighting for uh, substantive freedoms. And uh, there are two kinds of freedoms. There's freedom from, from not being harmed, but also there's freedom to, freedom to be able to pursue your own interests without being. So you, you need to separate this thing. So liberation, it is seeks to be, uh, uh, to create a society of absolute freedom in terms of the social economic status or the quality of life. Mm-hmm. of individuals and collectives, right? Mm-hmm. For example, there are certain countries that say Mpilo can own land, but we can rent because this is a public good, it's for everyone. But we can lease you the land as the state. So the state owns the land and we can lease it to you for 99 years or something mm-hmm. like that. So liberation is more substantive uh, in terms of the freedoms that you... And the state, the government, it takes a direct interest in making sure, in pushing the agenda of creating a better life uh, for, for, for citizens. On the other hand, uh, liberalism it creates a phony equality. It says... <laughs> it's says we are all equal to pursue our dreams. We have a freedom of speech. We have a freedom of all of this freedom that they talk about. But the fact is those who enjoy such freedoms have the economic power to do so. So my freedom of speech is not at the same level as uh, Rupert, for example, in this country. Mm-hmm. It's not at the same level as uh, Tokyo Sehwale, for example, or, or Patrice Moti, for, for, for example. So, so these types of, of freedoms that they, they, they talk about, especially in a society of high level of inequality, it, it's more of a propaganda of freedom. Mm. But where mm. there's a substantive levels of equality, liberalism 
could be a very, very good system. But because it is highly married to a capitalist you know, ideology, where there are levels of inequality, unemployment, and all of that, it, it becomes the, the, the survival of the fittest. And the government in, in a liberal society it creates an impression that, look, ours is to make sure that there's peace and order in society, and people are free to pursue their own but a liberation government, it will take it upon itself to make sure that there's no one who is poor as what We may not all be rich, but practically no one should be poor. Oh, definitely. Thank you for, that, for those analysis and clarifying that. Uh, the next one that uh, I have is Swazen seems to share the same problems of unemployment with South Africa. It's a good thing that in this discussion, we are talking about Swaziland and we speak comparatively with South Africa. I know South Africa is a big economy and uh, as far as democracy, they seem to have matured a little bit uh, far, far, far ahead. Or I should say they seem to have matured far, far ahead of Swaziland. So yes, we do the comparison. We are mindful of that. But still, uh, there are things that are worth comparing uh, with. So talking about unemployment, youth unemployment, South Africa and other African countries who are under liberal democracy have these challenges. I'm sure you have already covered a little bit on just the challenges under liberal democracy. But on this employment issue, why is that? Can you just give us those comparative analyses of why there are high unemployment or youth unemployment? Because, uh, you know, I usually say that our uh, South Africa's democ- liberal democracy is a textbook democracy. It also comes back to the role of liberators post the struggle for liberation. Uh, So you might find that those who fight for liberation, at the point of liberation, if not really conquered, the oppressors, they will walk into the institutions that were established by the oppressive regimes and they get swallowed into these systems. And uh, in the process, you find that... uh, Rather than driving the liberation agenda, they get swallowed into the value system of the oppressive regime. Mm-hmm. And you find that you change the faces of government, but the operational model remains the same and the outcomes are the same. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So this is why I, I, I am saying that you need to, you need a group of people that can design a society. So the idea, for example, of a of a, a politburo, as was traditionally, you know, advanced by Lenin, is very appealing to me because mm-hmm. if you look into South Africa, this grouping called the African Brother Bond that strategized and intellectually sustained apartheid, and they built the, the, they were able to build all these institutions. It, it, it's because the, they were the engine. Of, 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 you know, of the apartheid of the national party. But the post 94, the ruling party has not invested. And by the way, the African brother bond still exists today. Mm. And it's, it's still carrying this, its mandate to sustain 
the socioeconomic being of his constituencies, which is mainly the white constituents. This is why I'm saying that in South Africa, we have more conservatism rather than liberalism, because mm-hmm. the powers that be seek to preserve the socioeconomic status quo. So if you look at the DA, for example, the DA does not want to win national election. Mm-hmm. They want to win those pockets that are predominantly white. So so this is why you, you end up with the situation where the new rulers post the liberation struggle. They get swallowed into the system. They do not have, take the ANC, for example, does not have one single uh, think tank. One. Mm. So, <laughs> and all those institutions that used to argue for redistribution of wealth, of land, they have disappeared from the think tank. The, the predominant think tanks in this country are highly conservative. So, so this is why it's, I, mean, I usually say that the struggle for liberation is actually lost at independence. Because at, at independence, the whole governance system tends to be generated in accordance to those that were in power. So why, why is there unemployment? It's because we have not, South Africa has not expanded the cake. Mm. What, what, what South Africa has done has been to say that, okay, here's the cake, let's all fit into this cake, and it's impossible. And this cake has got its own guards that are guarding it very t- so even if you talk about youth unemployment, if you, if you desegregate it according to race, you will find that there are very few white people, young people, that are unemployed. Still segregation. Because they planned out. Or apartheid continues. Yes. That's, that's, that, that's, so, so it's this type of an example that I'm telling you about that if a certain people are not careful, the masses will jump from the frying pan into the fire, as Peter Tosh sings sometimes. So how... Because Go ahead. Is, Go is, ahead. Is, is you really want to, um, to get young people economically active, you must be prepared to dismantle the, the existing system. So Swaziland, but, but, uh, the pro-democracy movement, the advice I'm getting from you is they must be prepared to just plow across this whole existing system and establish a, a whole new Swaziland that is political, uh, politically speaking and economically. Yeah, that's why I keep using the term design. Yeah. Someone must design a, a, a new SWAT. Someone must, uh, what do you call it, socially engineer. Yes. As yes, to yes. The ideal SWAT in that. But for I me, mean, I am biased towards the well being of the masses because the, 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 there's no society where the masses have been moved from abject poverty to higher levels of a quality of life without a direct state intervention. Nada, zero. <laughs> oh, capital is their concern about the capital, they're concerned about profits. So we can't bring them to the discussion whenever we are dealing about uh, increasing, you know, the standard of life. If ever they have done in the past, because they have done that uh, increasing standard of life for a few, but just as long as it increases the profits for the capitalist, uh, you know. So I, I, I get I, I get to you on but, on this but, point. But you, you, yeah, but but you, you know what's going to, to happen. Yes. 
sooner or later, even the capitalist class, particularly in the African continent uh, and countries such as South Africa, will begin to realize that it's in their best interest not to gobble everything. That liberal democracy, I don't know if I'm being prophetic now, that liberal democracy is unsustainable in a society of abject poverty and inequality. Because mm, it's because like committing, it's like cancer that, that commits a biological suicide. You are killing the very thing that is supposed to sustain you, give you life. Yeah, precisely. Because, you know, for example, you know what the, the, the society that we see in South Africa now? It, it's becoming what? It's another version of a, a securitized state, a state with some serious security. For example, uh, the, the, there are more security companies in South Africa than the army. Yeah, I remember when I lived there, it was just, it's just in Johannesburg area, you will find various security companies dealing with security issues, showing that there is high level crime. And yeah, that's a high level case. crime is just a product of serious inequalities, class issues. Poverty, of hunger, of homelessness, uh, of, of a society where the majority gets to a point that says, F it, what do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. Nothing. So once you've got a, a so, so President Mbeki was saying the other day that, you know, he's afraid that sooner or later we will experience our own uh, Arab Spring, which, which for me is very, very uh, correct. So if you follow this historical facts in the South African context and you plug it in Swaziland and, and there's a dialogue of some sort, what is going to happen is that the top leadership amongst the progressives mm. will be co-opted into the state and the bureaucratic system of the current regime and democracy and they will embark on a propaganda so that they can share the goodies amongst themselves. So there'll be more, they'll be told that, no, but you can now vote for the prime minister, you are free. You mm. can now vote for political parties, you, you are free. But the social economic conditions, mm. <laughs> it will remain absence uh, on the map engine of the masses. Mm. So what's that, what's that going to do? It is going to generate uh, another apprehension of the new rulers. Uh, mm-hmm. And what Bob Marley says, those who fight and run away, they will have to fight some other time. So we'll have another series of the struggles and, and all those kinds of things. So so for, for me, I think the quality of political leadership, it, it needs to rise to a more comprehensive and in-depth level with, mm-hmm. and have a who are able to shape the, the hearts and minds, you know, of people. Like, like King Sobuzadendi did. He was able to... Social engineer a, a new to, community under uh, <laughs> traditionalism. Create an impression where he, he was able to couch a political identity as a cultural and a traditional identity. So now, now I've been... I have conversation with some... MPs in the past, uh, and when I speak about the need to reimagine governance, uh, to center the masses, you know, in the system of governance, to have a servant leadership rather than a parasitic leadership, 
bavele bangithele kahle bazo wena uhamba ufundza lemkhiba yakho be nayo basakusiso siswati let so they don't engage on the substance of mm. me saying center this individual called Liswati in the umswati at the at the center of the usage of state resources of the taxman and all of that is the main beneficial but village baso i know access so swati is some fun one yeah i see that all argument about uh, things being on swazi we still have people that are running for political power participating in politics they will come up with arguments such as oh no 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 that's on swazi we can't do that and you wonder what is Swazi really in the whole context of a global community or African community? Well, I want us to conclude maybe in the next nine minutes or so. Yeah. Just give us in a few minutes, how can Swazi design a new social order that will serve the masses? You've been talking about that, that there has to be that. What would be your advice? Okay. Before I give the advice, I think... What I think is going to happen for now, continuously, I think there's going to be the strengthening of attitudes on both sides. So the real regime and this political administration, backed by the police and the the army, they will continue to feel like they are in charge. So so that there won't be any appetite to meet progressives, you know, anyway. Uh, if the progressive, particularly the young people, they will increasingly become militant and more militant. What, what is likely to tilt the course of history, Eswatin, uh, is when there's an, there's an increase of political killings. That, that, that's when the army and the police sooner or later are going to realize that they are killing their own cousins and sisters and and once that gets to that point then you 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 the the seeds of a potential revolt or restraint from within the army and the police will begin to to rise up uh, and once that begins to manifest itself you might find that there could be even discomfort within the royal regime itself to a point where you begin to have political contestation from within the royal regime and this political administration and once you begin to have that consternation within the regime itself then the seeds for change would have would have started to germinate but the problem even if that happens and the progressive remain fragmented <laughs> and lacking in substantive you know political leadership they will not be able to drive the change so you might find that the regime post cosmetic uh, changes it may come and the unsuspecting masses begin to buy into that and then it continues without necess- the change happens without necessarily changing. So that's that's what I see uh, moving forward. So for me, what Switzerland needs is, is, is it's just a substantive quality of leadership on both sides, the progressives, uh, and also you know amongst the you know those that are the powers that be uh, at this point in time. You actually need about twelve people who go into the bush. And design a Swaziland that has got a governance system that centers the Swazi citizen as the main beneficiary of the governance system. You can tell I'm avoiding the ideological terms 
<laughs> so I'm talking about the governance system because governance speaks about leadership, the engagement with society, uh, the use of resources, whether they are natural resources or financial resources, taxation. It, it, it's that type of a regime. So if that is shaped in the best interest of, you know, Emasuat, even those that are within the royal regime will enjoy the stability that comes with that. But also the progressive will also have won the, the, in terms of redirecting the usage of state resources for the benefit of the masses. Oh, thank you so much. That's, uh, that's quite clear. I, I understand where you come from uh, with all the debate. I mean, the discussion we've had uh, today, we have uh, been around for almost an hour now. Uh, I, I just like this statement. There is an article that was written by Miss Lindwe Susulu. I think it would be nice to conclude with it, where he's dealing with the issues of liberal democracy, because that has been uh, the major discussion today. You know, this is quite fascinating. I think people should read this when he's having this criticism. But I won't but... read much uh, from mm. what she says. Uh, she is uh, uh, the Minister of International Relations and Cooperative. Apartheid was legal. Jim Crow laws in the United States were legal. Colonialism was legal. Even the Nazis were legal. So what does it mean to have a rule of law? And whose law is it anyway? These are interesting good questions because the rule of law is something that we talk so much about that we need the rule of law and so they need the rule of law and whose rule of law is it anyways i think that sums up the whole discussion that we have had today i'm sure you want to have parting shots and tell people where they can find you look i i think the challenge of what uh uh, says is that she has been part of the ruling party for too long. Mm. So you, you, you can't say the laws are bad where they have been, you swore to that constitution to advance it. And then when you are sitting there, you say this thing's not working. But that's part of liberal politics. So at the end of the day, here's what liberalism does. It sets the rules for party political contestation, nothing else. Mm-hmm. So so if if Sarsland goes in, blindly into liberal democracy without the specification of the uniqueness of Swaziland. All that is going to do it is going to set the rules of access to power and the retention of power. Nothing else. That's the horrible thing about liberal democracy. Uh, there's a Michael Breton, a professor in the, U- in the US. He says liberal democracy is about the rules of the political game. There's nothing to do with the socioeconomic quality. Improving the, of, the lives of the people, the masses. Yes, there's nothing to do. It's about the rules of the game. It says if you want power, these are the rules you must follow. If you have power and want to sustain it, these are the rules you must follow. If you want to topple that guy, you must do it legally and you must follow these rules. And uh... so, so, so whilst we, we're screaming multipartism, we must be substantively be conscious of what it means. No, definitely. I'm sure people will like to engage with you on social media. Can you just quickly do that within, maybe give you 40 seconds before we are cut out of this? Okay, so my the Twitter is at Kujalodi, at Kujalodi, that's Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Facebook is Mansa Tembe, M-A-N-S-A Tembe, T-E-M-B-E. 
And uh, the blog is Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a very good night. This has been a very fruitful discussion. I'm sure it will be for the people of Sweden and those who are interested uh, within the political circles. Have a very good night. Thank you, Steve. You too.